y'all. Pretend we're football for the next hour. I'm your host, Will Bazer. I'm joined alongside by Johnny Brashear and Tim Preston, as always. You guys should listen to the Hornscast channel, which you can find on any podcasting platform out there. I mean, you're already listening to it, so this is your favorite. Subscribe. Uh, you're also listening to the Budos Band bringing us in on a wonderful week for Texas basketball as Texas takes down two top 25 teams. Iowa State absolutely decimated, held to their lowest point total in over 40 years, I believe. And, you know, business as usual beating Kansas for the third time in a row. You know, just just Texas basketball things. Guys, how are we feeling? Amazing. Best I've ever felt. This is the highest I've ever been on a Texas team, probably ever. Um, all right, I, uh, all right, Tim, calm down. I, <laughs> I know you're bullshitting me. <laughs> no, it, it very good. You know, I we came off of the TCU game a couple weeks ago, and it felt like like maybe we had a new recipe for what could happen as far as like attacking earlier in the clock, getting Timmy Allen away from the ball a little bit, uh, bring Andrew Jones off the bench. Um, you know, and it, but uh, was that going to carry over? Did it not? It felt like it, you know, it, did, it didn't exactly, but uh, I thought it was really good to, to, to kind of impose our will against Iowa State in the way that we did, and then to, to kind of pull one out against Kansas where it felt like there were a number of things that the Jayhawks had going. Like, if you look at the box score afterwards, like, wow, how did we win that? Um, but that was, that's a good win. I mean, that's, it's not a good win, it's a tremendous win. I mean, Kansas was less than 48 hours away or about 48 hours away from taking a big old shit on Baylor. Um, so to kind of have them take that turnaround and, and come to Austin and, and take the L was um, very satisfying. So it was a lot, a lot to feel good about. I, I also felt good. Thanks, Johnny. All right, yeah, let's let's stick with the Can- Iowa State game, though. Uh, did you want to say more, Johnny, or is that it? I felt quite good. Cool. The Iowa State game, it was but, it was sort of... Oh, go ahead. No, that's that's all I had. Oh, okay. Uh, it was sort of exactly what Chris Beard wants out of this team, right? An efficient offense that just absolutely stifles you on defense. And Iowa State helped with missing a lot of shots, shooting 28% on the field and 13% from three, which was a far cry from what they were like up in Ames when they just couldn't miss a shot. They couldn't hit a shot here. And, you know, obviously kudos to Texas, but Texas took advantage of that and shot 40% uh, from the field and from three, you know, Andrew Jones, Marcus Carr and Courtney Raymer were just on fire that night. Yeah. I think Iowa state is, is falling back to earth. Uh, somewhat in that they still are playing good defense. They're, they're very solid defensively, uh, but they are a limited offensive team. They've got uh, Isaiah Brockington and then whoever might show up in the given game. And with a team like that, uh, a team like Texas can come in and do a pretty good job of shutting down the first option. Um, they made it really difficult for Brockington from about you know, the middle of the first half on, uh, I think he made his first three or four shots. And then from there was like one of 10 or one, two of 11, something like that for, for the rest of the game. So, uh, they, that's with a team that is offensively challenged, like Iowa state, uh, as long as they don't have a hot game, like they did in Ames, that that's a, that's a pretty easy team for a team like Texas to defend. Yeah, it was, up in Ames, it was Kalsher who just went off. Texas has done a good job in the past two games of really taking away option number one. And if option number two gets hot, that's going to be it's going to spell trouble. And that's what happened in Ames. Didn't happen in Austin. Well, and off the air, Johnny was talking about you know how how consistently teams have struggled on the road in the Big Twelve. And that that was unsurprisingly true for Iowa State. I want to say Iowa State had a close game at Kansas earlier in the in the season, but that's about it as far as when they've looked, um, you know, pretty good against decent teams on the road in in, in the league play. And it just like you said, Will Kalsher not hitting whatever it was like seven threes or whatever he hit in Ames was was obviously going to be a big difference maker. And and so um, 
you know, I think it was I think it was indicative of a of a team that's still pretty young at Iowa State that uh, feeds off their crowd that obviously wants to defend you, um, and then obviously just the pace and tempo that they were able to play at in Austin was a very different look than what they were able to do in, in Iowa State. So, um, you know, obviously Beard is a guy that's going to want to control tempo. Um, and sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't, but, uh, against Iowa State, it just felt like, all right, we were, we were much more capable of, of saying, all right, Hey, our guys can kind of dictate what, what this game is going to look like. And because of that, it, it got away from Iowa State pretty quick. Yeah. And it's another game where when Texas wins the turnover battle pretty handily, they're going to win the game. Um, it, it's, it takes an, a significant offensive effort from the opponent to overcome the sort of difference in, in turnover percentage that, that Iowa State had, and, and they just didn't do it. So uh, it, was, it was sort of watching a boa constrictor eat its prey in the second half. It's, it just wasn't, there wasn't anything for Iowa State to do. They just, except be consumed. Yeah, I, there's two things that I've also started to watch in these games. When it comes to the Texas offense, yes, it is sluggish and ugly, but I mean, that's what he wants, Chris Beard. He wants it to be very, very efficient and slow, like like a boa constrictor. I, I watch the offensive rebounds now and trying to see, can Texas get close to or over the other team's offensive rebounds because Chris Beard wants to make possessions at a premium in this game. And if you can extend your possession, then that's perfect for Texas. If they can get 10 offensive rebounds to Iowa State's 11, that can work. If they can limit the turnovers compared to the other team, that can work. Steals, that'll work. Blocks, stuff like that is what is really going to help extend drives and decrease the possessions of the other team. It's sort of the name of the game for this offense and this defense is be efficient. Efficiency isn't always pretty, but it's worked out the past, what, five out of the past four games? So, or am I three of the past four games? No, you just said five out of the past four. That's why I was... Yeah. Five yeah. out of four. Yeah. Was, is, oh, yeah. yeah that would be a dynamite efficiency. Uh, I, I can math. Okay, if, guys? if they could do four, five out of every four, then I'm going to be really high on this team's chances going forward. <laughs> yeah. If we get five chances for every four games, I, I like it. Yeah, ever so, but ever since the Kansas State game, they've been pretty good at being efficient on offense. Well, okay. Minus Tennessee. Tennessee was not was not great. Well, Tennessee was good for what, like, like thirty-two minutes, something like that, mm-hmm. or thirty-four minutes. I mean, that wasn't that we were either right on track or a little bit above track as far as what that was going to look like. And you know, I guess it's 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 a little surprising in some ways to feel like this team is is so like like so much better at home than on the road, considering what we kind of generally know about Texas crowds. Uh, but it ha- like we've just felt a lot more comfortable, and and certainly felt like we can. Uh, Certainly feel like we can um, we can play to our strengths a little bit more comfortably when we're not dealing with uh, with the road environment. And so, hey, that's I mean, we'll take it. Like you win at home and you steal a couple of games on the road, and that's a pathway to to at least five hundred or maybe a little bit better. And we'll take it. One thing that Chris Beard did very well at Texas Tech is he was able to get turn a mediocre environment into a game changing environment. And he saw the fruits of his labors used against him when he went to Texas Tech last week. He's starting to do that at Texas, having gone to the majority of these home games this year. Okay, aside from the non-conference, but when the conference games have started, he his, his labors of trying to reach out to the students and bringing them onto the court after the game and really get them involved, food, Free stuff, shirts, whatever. Getting them involved in this program has actually started to work out very well. And the crowds for the past few home games have actually really, really been impressive and a force for his own team. And it is a big part of why Texas is so good at home this year uh, on the conference. And around the conference, every, every team has a pretty good home court advantage because students are into it. Texas hasn't been that way, but now it is, which is a nice change for Texas basketball. Yeah, and, you know, uh, there's, yep, 
I mean, yeah. <laughs> cool. We, cool. We, All right. We've we hold, hold, hold on. <laughs> uh, we we have played not a lot of great teams yet. Like we still we still we still have some some tough games at home hmm. left. Um, and certainly, certainly the win over Tennessee. It's not surprising that this that the crowd was pretty decent for that, given the coach there and what that means. It's also unsurprising that we were up for Kansas. Um, so those those are very good. Um, I yeah. So I, I I I caution people a little bit as far as like, hey, looking at our home record with being like fourteen and one or whatever it is right now. That's you know the record in and of itself is tremendous. Um, I always, whether things are great or not great or whatever, context is super important. So pay attention to who we've beaten and what the, you know, what the circumstances have been. Um, so there's still some stuff to prove, and certainly there's still some things to prove as far as like th- these Texas, this Texas fan base, as far as like, hey, can can we be difference makers when things are shitty? You know what I mean? Like Texas fan base does a really good job of like, hey, this game was fun. Like the, if you can't get up for that Kansas game. You're probably not, you know, you, you probably just are not going to get up for basketball, period. If you can't get up for smacking Iowa State and, like, as much fun as it was to kind of get on the move and hit a bunch of threes as we did against Iowa State, then, again, you're probably just not going to have a lot of fun. Can You know, if we get into a 44-41 slog at some point, can our fans do um, as good of a job as possible of, like, of like uplifting the team on a, on a three- or five-point spurt? Like, oh, that's enough to, like, get the crowd rocking. You know, that that will be, I think, for me, the the biggest telltale sign of when when Beard's antics and the ways that he's really trying to bring in the the, the students family will be yeah I mean, we'll, we'll, family that's, when that actually Ryan happens right and of course I don't think you can get to that part until we win some big games until they do have some of the success that they've had recently so from that standpoint hey we you take every step that you can. Um, but I, but I would, I would again caution people to be like, okay, we're fi- finally we're here or whatever. Like, there's still, there's still places to go. So yeah, they they need to do that same thing they did to Kansas when like TCU's in town, you know, like it, the the thing that makes Iowa State and Kansas home crowds what they are is that the opponent in a lot of ways doesn't matter. That they're like that game in and game out. And Texas. To to date, it's been quite a while since Texas fans have been like that. So, you know, it, it was a good step, and they need to take more steps. Mm-hmm. No, agreed. But it is a nice change from years past, for sure. Uh, I mean, they got up well, for Mo Bamba, this- the Mo Bamba Kansas game, and like, and that was a fun game. But again, what did that team do? Was that a great team? Eh, it was a fine team. Like, and, and I think that I do think that enough people are, are are psyched about Chris Beard that the more he can win early, the more that he can kind of make that work, the the better options he's going to have in the next year or two, you know. Yeah. Um. So as long as he avoids, you know, a second year of Shaka uh, downturn, which I have no reason to believe he, you know, that he'll have something like that. But mm. um. But hopefully, hopefully he can keep it rolling. His results, positive or negative, will pay dividends in that direction down the road right so if he like like tim said if he keeps winning these games then fans will show up and they'll get loud and whatnot but if he doesn't then they don't like that's just sort of i mean he's at that early stage where whichever way his tenure goes the crowd will go with it now something else i've noticed over the past three games two and a half games is chris beard has allowed the team to be a lot more aggressive when it comes to driving the ball and I don't want to say shooting, but at times shooting, and we saw it transitioning to the Kansas game where Texas, especially in the first half, I mean, a big reason Texas was able to end the first half with a five-point lead was the amount of free throws they took and the amount of, fouls that they drew from Kansas. Now getting getting McCormick in foul trouble, what was it, with 15 or 10 minutes left in the first half allowed for Trey Mitchell to really flash against guys who honestly were just not as athletic or could really guard him. That's when Trey Mitchell went off. Uh, being able to get guys like him, I mean, that's when really Texas was able to sort of break away a little bit in that first half. 
And then when he came back in, it was a it was a trouble. It was spelled trouble for Trey Mitchell, but going in and driving to the ball allowed for them to make kickouts and for Timmy Allen to move without the ball. That ultimately really led to the game-winning shot for Timmy Allen. I thought that Kansas's defensive game plan was the worst a good team has had against us since Oklahoma. Interesting. <laughs> I was I was I was really surprised at how how content or intent I should say Kansas was to try to double team us in the post um, and, and look for block shots, which opened up a lot of offensive rebounds and second chance opportunities and and certainly some openings for guys like Timmy Allen who just played. I mean, Timmy Allen was phenomenal, phenomenal. Um, now, Courtney Ramey was probably the MVP of the game, as crazy as that sounds, with as good as Timmy was. It but, doesn't uh, sound that crazy. <laughs> I I just I feel like it was it was a little shocking to me at how aggressive Kansas was when I feel like I I I truly expected self to be like, hey, we're gonna match up with them athletically, man to man, and it felt like they were just they were really. Um, they were being more aggressive defensively than I thought they needed to be, which was great for us because again, that, that, that brings our ball movement and our player movement into, into that. And that, you know, uh, say what you want about Trey Mitchell or Timmy's lack of athleticism. They're smart guys, man. And they understand spacing and they took advantage of it when it was there. We, you know, had some good looks like up and unders around the basket. Uh, obviously we did a great job of getting to the foul line. I want to say Christian Bishop took like eight free throws or whatever it was. I'm sorry. I should have that in front of me. Uh, Trey Mitchell um, took eight. Okay. But we did an awesome job of, of, you know, making them defend. Like, so when we got early looks in the shot clock, I felt like they were good looks. And when we got late into the shot clock, we did a great job of getting fouled, you know. So I thought we were, this was a game that was, it felt like there were a number of good um, ways for us for, for us to be successful offensively. And then defensively, we weren't, we weren't tremendous, but that's because Kansas is super good. And all it takes is, you know, you, you get lucky in a few shots and, and hey, you, you, you figure it out. But um yeah, I was, I was, I was shocked, or not shocked, but I was, I was quite surprised that uh, that self came out with his defensive game plan that he did, and I don't think he's going to do the same thing <laughs> in Kansas. Like, I would imagine they're going to let, uh, they're going to try to force the ball into Timmy's hand a, a little bit farther from the basket as much as they can in in Lawrence. But uh, yeah, hooray for us for the game in Austin. Yeah, regardless of his game plan, Texas was able to be very, very, very efficient on offense, which is why. Even though they went three for twenty from three and allowed Kansas to shoot almost sixty percent field goal wise, they were able to win the game. They had fifteen offensive rebounds to Kansas's six. They had seven turnovers to Kansas's fifteen. I believe they had twenty-one points off those turnovers and thirteen points off of those offensive rebounds. So the ability to generate possessions extra possessions into points was the reason texas was able to win this and also hitting 20 from 23 in free throws that those free throw shooting was so clutch that game that allowed them to win but really i was very happy with the fact that they were able to well beard allowed them to run with the ball and try to do fast breaks and try to push the ball and you know really i mean he let freaking Trey Mitchell shoot six threes. One banked off the backboard and in, and that's really what actually, that was what started the seven-point run to finish the game. This was a real fuck you Chris Beard kind of game, to borrow Tim's term, uh, because we yet again got to see when they get out and run, they can look pretty good. When, they, when you allow these guys into transition and uh, allow them to take the first good shot that they see. Uh, You allow them to get in space and use the high IQ that pretty much all of them have. Uh, Good things happen. And so score 79 points. Yeah. It's, uh, it's almost like uh, people should have been saying this earlier in the season, perhaps in some sort of recorded format that other people could reference uh, later on. Um, I, I just, it was good to see the win. It was nice to see them run. It reminds me of how many games that they don't get to do that for whatever reason. Well, we know the reason, but it's, it, you know, it was an enjoyable game. It was enjoyable to watch, even though they were 
clanking threes off of every side of the backboard they possibly could. They were still more aggressive. They still hit their free throws. They still turned Kansas over. Uh, Courtney Ramey was an absolute baller on defense. Uh, He shut down, well, not shut down, but he severely limited uh, maybe the national player of the year uh, or at least a definite All-American candidate. Uh, you know, there, there was a lot to like out of this game. That's, you know, the, the glass half full of this, this discussion, um, there, there was a lot to enjoy. Yeah. Ogbaji had 24 points per game coming into that game. He had 11 points in this game and three turnovers caused by Courtney Ramey. Courtney Ramey is the MVP and that's why. No, I'd agree with that for sure. And, to both of your points, I guess that it's it's the dichotomy of beard that that's understandable, but also can be frustrating, right? On the one hand, you you get completely why he wants to control what he does, and he's had so much success relatively early in his head coaching career. Well, not relatively, quite early in his head coaching career, that it's hard to blame him for what he's deciding to do. On the other hand, you know, I, I, this team does not have a playmaking guard in the kind of like the most traditional sense as far as like someone that can can you know a tj ford type obviously tj ford is like one an of Agbaji? one but, uh, well well i mean abaji is not really create for others but like um like he but he can certainly get his own look when when courtney ray was out up at his ass <laughs> we're having fun um but you know i i it does feel like it when you don't have this this is not dissimilar to you know, Matt Coleman's freshman year or even the year before Coleman got there where it just felt like, man, we just we could not get those good looks. Um, and and when that happens, when it doesn't feel like you can like manufacture those out of out of your sets, then you got to take them when you can get them. And it really felt like in this game, like we were content or we were intent to say like, all right, well, when you get a good look, you rise and fire. Trey Mitchell, we want you to, to shoot those threes. And so even when he was ice cold, they, he still went up and, and fired with confidence. And that makes a difference. And, and I do think, you know, for, for a guy who wants, who, you know, speaks so consistently about wanting the this, this fans to be around and, and wanting to kind of get them excited about, about the team, well, man, a tempo like this, uh, an offensive system that looks like this could be a big way to do that. So, like, on the one hand, like, I get Beard's, you know, you know, trusting his system and trusting the way that he, you know, really like what he believes as far as like the right way to play. On the other hand, um, what you see is what you see. Um, and this was certainly a game that, that felt like, okay, well, you know, look, we, if we're missing that, that one big piece offensively, um, maybe that freedom and maybe that, that, that belief to say, Hey guys, I'm going to trust you to make some of those shots is good. And it's possible that as the season progresses, that he just, that he is feeling more and more comfortable with his guys. Perhaps when he talks about, you know, we just need time. Maybe he needs time to kind of figure out like, all right, who do I actually trust? Who do I feel like, you know, can be, can be a difference maker in these, in these types of games and these situations. But, um, yeah, I, I think it was, I think as Johnny said, it was, I would I would love to see more of it. I doubt we'll see it super super consistently, but I, it was fun to watch. So, what didn't go quite as well in that game? I know everything looked great. I mean, most things looked great. Was it really just the three point shooting? If you could change one thing about that game, I mean, obviously. There's not much. It's a win over Kansas. But if you could change one thing in that game, what would it be? Um, I won't. I won't take too long. If we can't find a way to get Desue and Febris more active in this, and I and maybe the answer is that we can't. And I don't know. Maybe we just. Maybe we just cannot, because the two guys that are most dependent on a high level point guard that can pass and can create separation for those guys, whether it's Desue as a catch and shoot guy in the, on the perimeter. Or someone to kind of you know be a, a, a drive and draw kind of person for him, and then someone that can like look for Febris and pass off. If we can't incorporate those guys, I still do feel like our ceiling is is not as high as it would be if we could, um, just because those guys are, are are very good athletes. They've got terrific length. Um, both of them are plus defenders, but we just we just can't seem to find ways to incorporate them in the offense. I would have loved for us to not only win but see them a little bit more active 
Um, you know, when Jace had a nice draw or a nice drive and left-handed finish against Kansas, that was good. I thought he played good defense. Um, for the most part, he had a couple of silly fouls against Kansas. Um, DeSue just still seems like he's kind of finding his way and doesn't seem to have sort of the same, um, you know, low post game that a guy like Bishop or Mitchell has. And so we're, we're struggling with that. So I, I would have, I would have liked to incorporate them. That's probably about it though. I mean, obviously, honestly, it's, it's tough to ask for a whole lot more than what we've seen. Um, consistency from Andrew Jones would be nice. <laughs> yeah, but they are that those guys are what they are. And again, that, that that's I don't I hate to be to be harping on this thing, but like we don't have a point guard that's going to get them open stuff. Like say what you want about how open or not open the looks are, when you don't have someone that you can rely on to create defensive rotations. I mean that was that was the thing about TJ and the thing about DJ and the thing about even Jacobin sometimes like they had that ability like because they had the ball in their hands, they were going to create defensive rotation. And that's like the defense isn't going to rotate against Carr or Ramey and certainly not against Andrew. Like they might help off some, but you don't have to because we just don't have the quickness and that, you know, that ability off the bounce to get into the lane like that. So, so that's, that's what's going to happen when your three pointers are a little bit more sporadic as far as what they're coming from and the looks that we are going to get from that. Um, so I, I agree with you. I'd love for our three pointers to be there, but that's I just think we don't have these like drop dead natural awesome shooters. Um, so because of that, sometimes the looks that we get are gonna are gonna create high efficiency, like against Iowa State, and sometimes they're not against Kansas. And that's we're just gonna have to roll with it. So if you, from that standpoint, the fact that we won when we had to roll with a shitty shooting night is very positive. I said I was gonna take a second, Johnny, and I took like five minutes. I apologize, <laughs> but that's um, that I think was a was a huge positive. So I, I think uh, we Texas fans cannot count on Christian Bishop being able to mug dudes down low and not get called for it night in and night out. Um, oh my God, there was so if I was Kansas, <laughs> like Kansas fans have a lot to be upset about in that game, but that there is and, and it's not a lot of like that. it's not one sided, <laughs> right? Like McCormick is, is he he can be a bull in a china shop and. You know, other guys do it like it's not just Christian Bishop, like he but Christian Bishop's ability to influence a game is directly proportional to how physical the refs will let him be because and they won't let him be physical in Allen Fieldhouse. No, not not like that. Um, it, it, he's I mean, he he, he was mugging dudes uh, there, there. He probably has the wallet of like three different Kansas players right now. <laughs> like he's just. You know, I mean, and good for him, right? Like, if they're not going to call it, then do your thing, right? Um, but if he's not going to, like, that's sort of the thing. And this is, to me, is like part of the deal with Bishop in the rotation is you got to get a good sense of what the refs are or are not going to let happen because that is going to directly impact how often he's on the floor versus someone like DeSue or Mitchell or somebody else, right? Like, that's just kind of how it is. Um, and, and, you know, when they let it, it was amazing to me for the amount of fouls that were called, how few of them were in the paint. And given the, uh, the, the, the free throws were, you know, were fairly even in terms of overall attempts. Um, if they called stuff in the paint, like they were calling it in the mid range and on the perimeter, Kansas would have shot like an extra eight free throws in that game. Um, so, you know, um, that if that's that's something that I I keep an eye on as as the game progresses. Mm-hmm. I also just realized Courtney Ramey played thirty nine of forty minutes. I, I didn't see I didn't see that number until just now, which is that. Oh, that's been super consistent. He like he's at thirty eight or above basically every single game. Yeah, but so. uh, what's going forward in the macro sense from this past week and really past few weeks is replicable going forward into a really rough stretch for Texas specifically going forward. Texas has won a bunch of different ways. What is replicable in a tough atmosphere away? So uh, I I think it's going to be difficult for Texas to win many more of their away games because uh, they are going to be playing top half of the big 12 teams on the road for the most part. Um, and the home versus away splits, not just for Texas, but in the Big 12 in general, are pretty jarring. Um, I, I don't have a ready explanation for it. Including uh, including tonight when Oklahoma beat Tech by 15. 
Yeah, and it was you know it was closer than that for most of the game, and it kind of got out of hand late. But yeah, that it Tech uh, didn't lead that game for the last I want to say ten to fifteen minutes of the game, um, and and yeah, and Oklahoma just you know they they, they won at home, um, and you know uh, Baylor beat Kansas State on the road, but that's uh, you know that's that's not uh, particularly surprising. You know anybody in Texas can win at Kansas State on the road these days, so you know. It's a. It's clearly not the. It's not the octagon of doom anymore. It's the uh, octagon of mild discomfort or something. But I, I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I. I don't know how much of this is replicable. Just because it's uh, every team that they play is going to be a good team. And while Texas defense has been solid uh, to to well above solid in pretty much every game over the past month or so. Um, their offense has been pretty inconsistent, and they've turned the ball over more on the road, and uh, they've they've shot a little worse on the road, and it's just sort of snowballed a little bit. It's so it's I I I don't think Texas ceiling on the road has really demonstrably changed. They they have to show it for me to believe it at this point because even after that TCU win, I mean they've played like what I'm worried about is a tough atmosphere, right? Yeah, that can change the game. Now TCU isn't a great team, but they're not bad. No, and they're Texas not. Texas played in yeah. apparently their best environment. Yeah, well, that's a low bar at TCU. I mean, they don't. That's true. They, this is you know, if we want to talk about Texas fans not showing up, like TCU fans, they just found fans six years ago, right? Like they <laughs> prior to that, it was like twenty eight dudes who just didn't have much to do on a Tuesday, and they kind of showed up at the arena. It, it's you know, and because they haven't had much success, so. Uh, credit to Jamie Dixon for getting them to sell out even a single game. Um, so, you know, it, they did play really well against TCU, but a TCU is another one of those sort of flawed teams where they've got a guy in Mike Miles and, uh, you know, some other guys can get hot, but they're they're kind of up and down. And so it's not, to me, that's not the same as going to Baylor, going to Kansas, going to Tech, you know, and, and beating those kind of teams. I guess the big question for me is when you watch a game like Tennessee and then you watch how we played at Tech and then how we played it against Iowa State and then Kansas, those are four games, obviously three wins, but the three wins came in pretty significantly different ways. Um, you know, kind of grind it out against Tennessee, um, sort of run away from Iowa State and then sort of hang on in, in a bit of a barn burner against against Kansas and and in some ways, you look at that and say, oh, fantastic. Like, what a team that's finding a way to win. Certainly under Shaka and, and the end with Rick, it felt like the opposite, finding a way to lose. Um, so we'll, we'll take that. But as Johnny says, finding a way to win tends to kind of be much more common um, at home than it does on the road. I mean, it, it doesn't take a whole lot to look in the game against Kansas and say, like, oh, we could have lost that game. Like, a uh, sprinting three-pointer by Marcus Carr at the end of the first half that doesn't go in. You know, there's there's three points. A uh, uh, you know a shot that that Trey Mitchell banked off the moon uh, at the end of the second half um, doesn't go in. Obviously, there's, there's Chris, could be Christian Braun, an eighty percent free throw shooter, missing both of his free throws. At, yeah, wild. Man. And then <laughs> uh, who was it? Uh, was it McCormick who had the one and one? I think McCormick who, who missed yeah. the front end of a one and one. And Dewan Harris, who the ball just slipped out of his hand as he's yeah. driving at the end. Yeah, it's that. That's the glass half empty, empty side of this, right? Is that uh, they did win, but there were about a hundred different ways that that were not Texas doing that that could have gone the other way. Like, yeah, and I, I again, like we said a few minutes ago, I think obviously you don't want you never say like hard done by because I don't think the refs like stole it from them. I don't think that Texas like is devoid of capable players, but there was enough. There were enough like what the fuck kind of moments in that game uh, that went against Kansas, which hooray for us. Well, there are um, also ones that went against Texas, like uh, when Braun took five steps and got called a foul on Texas, or and took two two free throw shots and drained both of them, and also what was it? Trey Mitchell absolutely blocked the the hell out of a shot and got called a foul for it. I mean, there was just it was just inconsistent refing both ways i don't think you can say yeah the refs definitely screwed over kansas here no they they really screwed over both teams but the the screwing was was in such a way that it it equaled out at the end 
Yeah, I don't think either of us is blaming this on the refs. This is more just the 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 when you're dealing with the Big Twelve and you're dealing with as close as games tend to be in the Big Twelve, the ball bounces a different way in in a certain spot, and the game is a different you know a different result. Oh, I see. Okay. Like that's that's more it. I mean, the yeah the the, the refs missed a, a number of calls, and, and you know they they were on both sides. But for me, it's more. Uh, Brown is an eighty, well, was an eighty percent free throw shooter prior to that game, uh, and Courtney Ramey slaps his hand before he takes the first shot, which was, was hilarious. Incredible. Um, and he then he misses. Courtney Ramey MVP. Yeah, for more reasons than one. Yeah, he, and and so Brown misses both shots, and then McCormick is getting ready to take his front end of the one and one, and Ramey waits till the last possible second to switch sides of the free throw line. Uh, with I think it was like Jace or somebody and, and just to mess up his rhythm yet again and he misses it and so you know like those guys missed those chances but also kind of enjoyed watching Ramey fuck with them so you know it, I, it's a win you don't apologize for wins uh, that is uh, that that game against Kansas was the first genuinely surprising result in a positive way for me this season um, and, and so uh, I'm happy to see it. I'm happy to see, you know, anytime you can beat Kansas, you take it regardless of circumstance. Three times in a row, by the way. Is- well, we got a, we got away with, with, with family and some friends over the weekend uh, up in Wisconsin. And, and so I had a chance to watch. So that Saturday was Dad's Day. Friday, the, the dads watched the kids. And on Saturday, we had a chance to, like, the moms watch the kids. And so I watched the entirety of that Kansas-Baylor game and, and – uh, uh, I came away from that game like, oh boy, <laughs> you know, one of those examples of like, okay, they got to go on the road, you know, immediately after the win, essentially, and and, and fly down to Austin. So uh, that was that was one of those, hey, thanks, uh, whoever scheduled that one, whether it was Big Twelve or ESPN or whoever, we appreciate you bringing them down so quickly after their game. But um, but yeah, it was it that was. Kansas is no joke, man. This this is a win that's going to look fantastic, no matter what happens in Lawrence. It's a win that's going to look fantastic later on. It's going to help our net. It's going to it certainly it 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 won't hurt our Ken Palm, which is already very high. Um, so from that standpoint, there there was it's not just the positives and the momentum that you can bring from winning that game. It's also like there's going to be some tangible pieces um, in the quantifiable statistics that are going to make a, a difference for us. Too. Yeah, and one of the things that you know th- there was in my mind always. A very remote chance going into this week that Texas might still be on the bubble, might have some sort of like it's it's a very edge case, but I knew it wasn't zero percent, and uh, that is gone now, right? Barring Texas having some sort of you know Trey Young Oklahoma level collapse at the end of the season, that they're in, right? So now we're talking seeding as opposed to whether or not they they make it in because. With the rest of their record beating Kansas, that pretty much seals it. Uh, if they play even close to what you would expect going forward, so that's another positive take out of this is that we probably don't have to deal with any bubble talk going forward at all. Mm-hmm. Now it's all March, baby. Let's take a look forward, not all the way to March. We'll back it up a bit. Looking at Baylor, we've been talking about how it is tough to win on the road in the Big 12, and don't get me wrong, Baylor is going to get up and get ready. That student base hates Texas, and that fan base hates Texas, but... They don't have anything else to do in Waco at 11 a.m. on a Saturday. True. And Georgia, Georgia's open, then? I don't know. I don't think so. They're probably out there strip mining shiplap or something. I, I don't know. True. But it's been weird... Of the Big 12 teams that you would think would be very good at home, Baylor has looked very beatable at home. Knock on wood here. But they lost to Tech, lost Oklahoma State, had a close call against West Virginia, uh, beat the ever-loving crap out of Kansas State, and had a close one against West Virginia, as I said. It's weird. What is up with Baylor who are they and, and why have they, you know, what has been going on with them this year? So Baylor is, uh, Baylor is not quite as good as last year. They are still extremely good. The problem for them lately is that they have been injured a lot. 
they have dealt with uh, LJ Cryer, who is their leading scorer. He's been out for uh, a handful of games, and uh, he was out against uh, Kansas State as well. So I, I don't know if he's going to be back for the Texas game or not. Uh, Akinjo has been dealing with a tailbone injury, and it's been t- it's taken him some time to get back. Uh, Sohan was out for a while. They they've had a uh, you know just a number of guys who who who've missed time. I think even Flagler's missed a game somewhere along the way. So you know they they're they are still the t- they still can very easily blow Texas out if Texas does not bring its A game. Um, and they're he- and they're fully healthy. Uh, you know you saw what they did to and, Villanova. And hopefully Texas doesn't have a, a hangover game there. I mean, you know, you would hope not, uh, especially against a team like Baylor. Uh, if they have a hangover against a team like that, then then we're in trouble because that's these are absolutely the games you need to get up for. Um, but I, I think the question for me about Texas's chances in this are, are really about Baylor's health more than about Texas because I think if Baylor gets Cryer back and he's 100%, if Akinjo's 100%, this is going to be a rough game for Texas to win because – Baylor, even with them having, uh, you know, some some issues where they're, you know, they've, they've lost four games this year, which is three more than they did the entirety of last year. They're still ranked in the top six in Ken Palm. Uh, they're still on track to to be probably, you know, I mean, they might they might finish second or third in the conference if Kansas doesn't falter. Um, they're still in line to probably end up as like a two or a three seed uh, in March, if especially if they get healthy. So um, this is going to be a tall task. Uh, so what I'm saying is Texas should probably win. They So people that watched them last year, I, I guess I'm assuming people that did, um, they look very different uh, in one particular way. They... Missing Butler, missing Teague, missing Mitchell. Um, those are to have three guys that can handle the ball and play make like they did last year. Is it's not just unique or rare. It's like like once in a million <laughs> kind of things. Like they have a team that has that kind of playmaking and and that kind of diversity as far as what they have in their backcourt. They do not have that. As good as Cryer and Akinjo have been, like they just they have they've had a pretty a pretty substantial drop off from last year, which how could they not have? I mean, that, that backcourt was truly um, special. Um, so what we've seen from, from Baylor, and I think to Will's point, what, what will happen if, if we are going to have some success against them, they are prone to turnovers. And for as good as they've been shooting wise, as, as talented as they are as shooters, um, they still are a team that can shoot pretty poorly. So it does feel to me like, um, you know, there, there it, it's not like there's no avenue for this Texas team to steal this game in Baylor or to feel like they, you know, can take care of business in Austin against the Bears because I, I do think defensively we can turn up the pressure against them and make life pretty difficult for them on the perimeter because they, you know, even if Cryer and Akinjo are playing – um, that those those ability with like with ball control can be a problem. Now the issue for Texas that I think was not an issue against Kansas. I don't see any circumstance where Drew is going to approach this game and with anywhere near the type of defensive recklessness. I guess maybe I would say that Kansas did. Like Baylor knows they have a a defensive athleticism advantage against us. And I would imagine they're going to play that. I think that there's a, you know, a decent chance that they're going to say like, Hey, you know, all right, Mitchell beat Chama, Chama Chachua. Sorry. I'm sure I said that wrong. No, that's, that's pretty uh, or, good. <laughs> or, you know, or, or whatever, like, like can, can Texas's guys beat their man straight up? And I just feel like if I was Baylor, uh, athlete versus athlete length versus length, I, I would feel pretty comfortable with those matchups. So we've been pretty dependent on our big men to to create second chance opportunities and to create some scoring down low or at least get to the foul line. Can we do that against Baylor? I, uh, I'm not super duper convinced at this point, but I'd love to see it. I wasn't convinced that we were going to beat Kansas either. So, so far be it for me to say that that kind of stuff isn't possible. But um, I think that the there's a road to victory. I do. I think there's a road to victory as far as if we can if we can keep them from shooting well from the three point line, and if we can coax them into some turnovers and take care of our business as far as like trading points off of those turnovers. Yeah, um, but I think that there's it's not 
it's a tough matchup for us in the same way that that I think that we're kind of a tough matchup for Oklahoma or TCU in some of those same ways. Yeah, so. I, I think with um, you know a guy like Kendall Brown, I, who who who's going to handle him when you're Texas, right? Like that dude's in, got an NBA body, and well, especially as much as we count on Timmy to kind of be that that tip of the spear in in our switching defense and yeah. stuff too. So. And, and you know I. I think Akinjo and the others can stay in front of Marcus Carr. Uh, I don't think that uh, you know the the guys like um, Sohan and, and and Kendall Brown, for that matter, uh, you know, and even Chamo Chachua, they don't have a problem going out on the perimeter against a guy like Trey Mitchell, and they they they're not going to be worried about it. So like, and the same thing with Christian Bishop, like he's not going to outmuscle Chamo Chachua. Like he's just, he's not that, like that dude is strong. And so it's just, it's hard. There's, 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 it's tough finding a way for Texas to win this, especially because uh, Baylor is so good at offensive rebounding um, that they create second chances for themselves. They are also pretty good at limiting uh, offensive rebounding. So Texas is going to have trouble with their uh, getting get second opportunities. I mean, I think for Texas, they have to remember that they are going against another no-middle defense and that when a no-middle defense aggressively helps like theirs does, that means there's someone open and there is a pass to be made. And if they can intelligently make those passes, uh, if they can make the skip passes correctly, uh, then then they got a shot. But but it is, it's going to be a tough game for them to win. I'm also being told right now by Baylor people that Akinjo is going to be playing. Cryer is TBD and probably not, but neither are fully healthy. Yeah, I mean Akinjo's been playing for the past couple of games, but he's he's been a little limited. Um, it, it, and he, you know he did all right to, against um, against Kansas State tonight. So I, I he may not be a hundred percent, but I don't think he's going to be. It's not like he's playing fifteen minutes a night at this point. He's he's out there and he's he's making it happen. So. Um, We'll we'll see about Cryer. Um, if Cryer's out there, then I'm I'm not getting my hopes up. Yeah, yeah. But I, if I'm Baylor, I don't I don't rush Cryer back because they've looked so good with him. I'm not sure that you got to worry about. It. Like I think they're no matter what happens in this game or any games, like you 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 let him be fully healthy and just figure like, hey, we'll we'll trust our our top nine guys against basically anybody if if we're healthy. So um, so yeah. we'll we'll see. I would I don't. I don't think there's any reason to believe that Cryer for sure won't play, but I also can't imagine they'll rush him back given given how good they were playing when they were when they were at full strength. Yeah, but this is the game where I'm well Chama Chachua and Flothamba are definitely bigger guys. It's I'm actually not worried about the size comparison to Texas. Texas is pretty short when it comes to big men. But like Flo Thamba is their tallest guy. He's six ten, who regularly plays. So, I uh, you know I'm I'm not as this this game I, I I'm not as worried about it, and that's probably why they're gonna lose because I'm not worried about it. But that's that's just how I feel. I feel like I I feel like I should be a little bit more worried about this game than I am. I, I think you're. You're high off the Kansas game. I think that's what's is happening. Is that it? Yeah, you're just you're no, still. No, because I felt like this after going into Tech, and I was like, I feel actually pretty good about this game. And then then yeah, shit you, hit the yeah, fan. yeah. No, you shouldn't have felt good about going into no. that game. Yeah, no, that's not. Yeah. It's it's one of those where like I'm gonna feel great going into Alabama. Like we're gonna kick the shit out of Alabama in football next year, and then the game happens, and I'm like, oh yeah, that, that's why I felt like this every day, but game week. I mean, I admire your optimism. It's it's uh, it's refreshing. It's uh, it's nice to hear uh, someone be uh, friendly and optimistic about Texas because um, not getting a lot of that in this house. So, well, and and you know, we and Tim's we, messages again, to me privately are just a shit show. <laughs> behind the, behind the curtain again, we 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 were pretty purposeful before this podcast started. Saying like, hey, let's 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 be as positive as the recent. Uh, as the recent outcomes of games suggest we should be. And so from that standpoint, it, it certainly feels like we're trying to be indicative of, of how well Texas has played, uh, which is tremendous. They've, they've played really, really well. Um, I, I do think that there's 
that there's a uniqueness to how Kansas played us and where Kansas's weaknesses are that that matched up better for Texas than I guess I thought maybe they necessarily would. Um, I'm 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 equally nervous about Baylor <laughs> from a standpoint because you're right, Will. Like they they don't have like three seven footers who are just gonna like you know be be Mo Bamas out there or or even Jericho Sims out there. Uh, but their strength and their athleticism and their explosiveness on the interior is no joke. I mean, it's, it is it is no joke. And they can switch pretty cap- capably with that, too. Even a guy like Meyer can, can switch down low and, and still be decent in the post on post defense and stuff like that. So, I mean, we'll, we'll see. But uh, the, other, the flip side of that real fast is... Um, I have I don't mind telling everybody like you people can be as as upset with me for some of my negativity that I've had in this podcast and it's been there like I I won't hide it. Um I didn't know we could beat Kansas. I didn't know that we were capable of win like that. Not to say like I didn't think that this collection of guys or or how capable they've looked elsewhere couldn't do it, but you got to kind of prove it at some point and Texas sort of did. So so again, you kind of raise you raise your idea and you raise your belief in in what they're capable of, depending on what they've shown you. And that was that was a big win. So would I be shocked if they beat Baylor? As Will says, he's got that confidence. No, I'm not shocked. Um, mm. But it's <laughs> it's I it's, would be shocked. On, I would still be shocked if they beat Baylor. I just feel good. Yeah. It's because Akinjo without Cryer, Akinjo is their guy, right? I mean, he's and he's Akinjo is the guy regardless. Cryer feeds off of Akinjo a lot because Akinjo is the he, he's sort of like Remy Martin in that he is the, the the primary dude. He's the initiator. Who's who's after that in guards? I mean, you have. I mean, you got Flagler. I mean, although he's Flagler, he's, that's, he's that's what I was gonna say. Flagler. Yeah. I, I mean, if, here's um, here's sort of the thing, right? Is like we've been talking about Baylor for 15 minutes and just now mentioned potential NBA draft pick Matthew Meyer for the first time. Like that's kind of who they are, right? Like that's, that's the level of player that they have that Matthew Meyer, who's known for his mullet and the fact that he's going to get paid to play in the biggest league on the planet, uh, biggest basketball league on the planet. Uh, and we were like, Oh, right. Him too, because we've been talking about these other guys so much. But I, I feel like Texas could potentially Ogbaji. Kinjo here. Well, I mean, so here's the thing. Here's the thing with a Kinjo is that you're not going to get the ball out of his hands because every, just about every possession starts with him. Right. Whereas Agbaji doesn't usually bring the ball up the court. So someone's got to get him the ball to start things. Right. And he can create his own look. He can get open through the staggered screens and whatnot and what have you, but a Kinja will have the ball in his hands to start possessions. So put Ramey on him and he can probably make life pretty difficult for him, but he's less likely to be able to deny him the ball outright than they were against Agbaji. Like it's just a little different kind of circumstance. I don't want to put this out there into the world either, but I just, I really, this is a game that that screams to me like, oh no, what if Ramey gets in foul trouble? Like I don't want to speak that evil into the world, but as physical as Baylor can be, and as much as they attack the paint, and as much as I think that Akinjo will probably look to actually pressure Ramey, uh, Ramey's on-ball defense, um, uh, we just haven't really ever seen this team sans Ramey in these big games. <laughs> I mean, obviously it's pretty clear how much of a crutch Ramey is for for Beard defensively. Um, so he's going to have to be careful because this could, you know, this could be a big game for Texas, and certainly this is a game where where they're going to try to isolate him when they can. And uh, I think Ramey's up to the challenge, but one or two weird whistles on the road, and you never know. So there's there's a fine line that we've got to watch everywhere. Yeah, with this, Ra- Ramey rides right on that line of what what can and will be called, and there's there's going to be a game or two or four where it does get called, and. That's just you gotta you you gotta accept that that's a possibility because the 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 upside of it is the sort of defense he's capable of. I'd be remiss to leave the Baylor segment without asking y'all for some Scott Drew fun facts because we all know and love Scott Drew, but we don't know him actually. So please tell me a little bit about, about Baylor head basketball coach Scott Drew. 
1856, there was a farm family. <laughs> he's the worst human that ever has existed or ever will exist. Like, he's um, Boston Strangler, uh, Kevin McHale. Was he the Boston Strangler? Uh, I'm pretty sure. Um, I'm fairly certain that... I heard uh, he was responsible for the potato famine in Ireland. So it was he he it was a deep fake when Anakin Skywalker killed all of those younglings that was actually Bryce Drew in there and they just they just kind of superimposed Anakin's face on there still tough stuff. Did you call him Bryce Drew? Uh, did I? Oh, that's Scott Drew, aka name? Bryce Drew, <laughs> <laughs> his brother Bryce. Yeah, sorry, but uh, yeah, he he's, he sucks really hard. Uh, loves fisting. Did. If you watch the uh, the heart wrenching video of uh, Michaela Schifrin's interview after her she fell uh, or she she missed the the fifth uh, fifth flag on her on the on the ski run and she is talking about how the last fifteen years don't really feel worth it right now and she's not sure what she's going to do going forward. If you turn the volume up. Off in the background, you can hear Scott Drew laughing his ass off at her. Just, just cackling. This Scott Drew guy doesn't sound great, honestly. Yeah, I've heard a lot of really good things from Baylor fans about Scott Drew. Is, is are there any other facts that I should know, or is that it? He prefers Subway to Schlotsky's. Wow. So Scott Drew has been known to send dark money political donations to anyone who would make weed double illegal double illegal what what does double illegal mean like as illegal as it is right now twice that twice that (laughs) (laughs) he wants to restart the war on drugs he is the war on drugs that's what he's using all of his baylor hush money for it's not throwing bags at recruits theoretically it's trying to make every fun substance on this planet illegal so that no one else enjoys this world because he doesn't enjoy this world. Hmm. Hmm. Double well, illegal. I'm glad, I, I'm glad I know Scott Drew a little bit better today. I'm, I hope, hopefully the audience knows him, knows him a little bit better today, too. It's always, do, 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 do. It's, always, it's always fun the more you know about Scott Drew. Last, let's like spend five minutes on Oklahoma here. Or let's not. What? I mean, just real fast. How do we feel about the game after the last OU game? I I think in a vacuum, uh, I, I feel like Texas, while I don't think Texas is a clearly better team, I think they are a very bad matchup for this Oklahoma squad, uh, sort of how it's constituted. And... In a vacuum, I think Texas w- would win a game like this. But like I said, they have uh, we've seen the, the the huge differences in home versus road, not just for Texas, but for anybody in the Big Twelve. So uh, I would not take this game lightly. Um, I I think Texas should be the favorite. Um, I would be uh, a little bit surprised if they lost. But again, Texas has not really done a lot on the road to date. And so this is, again, sort of like what Tim was talking about. They, they kind of have to prove it. And if they're going to try and get themselves in, in the conversation for higher seeds, they need to steal some more road wins to, to pad their, their Big 12 record. Um, and, and this would be a good one for them to do it. Yeah, two things real fast. Um, 12 minutes later. Oklahoma's going to be playing for their season, right? So like they're, they're, they are at the point definitely now where they have no room for error. So a home loss to a team like Texas, who obviously is highly ranked in a place like Ken Palm, but you know, isn't really, we're not considered like a top five team in the country. So a loss to us could be pretty damning as well as a win against us could actually be very helpful for them, both from a standpoint of they need to start getting some wins to start uh, padding those, that, that win column. Um, But then also like to kind of instill some of that belief and get Potter Mosher going through. The other part would just be we're coming off of a, a really tough stretch, right? So all these ranked games, you play you play Tennessee, you play at Tech, you play Iowa State, you play Kansas, you play Baylor. And, that's and as, then the next game is Tech again. So yeah. Right. That's a big old run. Um, 
So like it, it, it would be human nature to kind of have a deep breath against a team like Oklahoma that we took care of so comfortably in Austin. So that it feels like a trap game a little bit, although I know it's a, you know, obviously it's a rivalry game, but is it a rivalry game to Marcus Carr? Is it a rivalry game to Timmy Allen or to Christian Bishop? I mean, tough to say that they can, that they can kind of absorb. It is that to Andrew about, Jones. And that's all that matters. Yeah. Hey, Hey, I'm, I'm with you, but um, some of that stuff will be the question mark, but um, I, I, like Johnny, I've been, I've been preaching the whole time. I think we're a bad matchup for, for Oklahoma. Um, and they don't have the athleticism to really hurt us inside, which has been kind of an Achilles heel for us. But um, but it's it, it's not without they're not without talent, and certainly it's it's it would be tough to say, hey, we're gonna be we're gonna get up emotionally for every all of these games consistently, consistently, consistently. That's a lot to ask of uh, nineteen to thirty year olds. So most so, mostly thirty year olds. <laughs> so the last thing about Oklahoma is. Tanner Groves looks like Moe's Schrute mixed with the caveman from Geico commercials. What do y'all think about that comparison? I, I like the Schrute part of it. That that fits. Like I again, I I feel like there's gotta be some sort of contest that Oklahoma puts out there where the winner gets to just sort of feel his beard. I just, it's so... It defies science. defies it, gravity. It, it it's, grows, yeah. It grows forward. I've never seen a beard that grows like his beard. It's super Amish or something. Like, it's like exactly. it's... That, that's why I think Dwight, that's why I think Dwight Schrute's cousin, brother? Both, maybe. Mo's, yeah. Moe's Schrute. Yeah. He, he is a, no, he's a beet farmer, for sure. Yeah, no, there's, there's definitely... Some sort of doomsday prepping in his future. Anyway, do you guys remember that 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 commercial with where the where the you know the caveman's going in the in the airport oh, yeah. and he's on the conveyor belt and then he sees a picture of himself on the Geico thing and like has a big old sigh. Yeah, so easy a I caveman like can do it. And he's like, oh. yeah, that's a great song. Anyways, his brother also looks like Mark Michael Sarah. So Jacob Groves and Tanner Groves are a, a a power brother. They're they're the guys most likely to be spotted doing cocaine in an LA restaurant on a Wednesday. <laughs> All right. On that note, thank y'all for pretending we were football for the past hour. Uh, and thank you again to Brittany M and Cole C for really sponsoring the show. Uh, always love. You know, really love their support. Uh, we're going to do this differently. Johnny, where can we find you on the internet? And now I feel like I'm being punked for some reason. Um, it's uh, You can find me on Twitter, at BitterWhiteGuy, if I have not recently blocked you, which is entirely possible, and you earned it if it happened. Um, you can also find me uh, on Substack, BitterWhiteGuy.substack.com, um, and uh, on the HordesCast discord which still exists yeah. yeah it's there and actually it's not it's not bad it's not bad that's the uh that is the glowing review you're gonna hear about the horns cast discord right there it's, it's not tim, bad. tim is technically there technically is that what that is yeah it's tech yeah I wonder what in, in the loosest possible definition of the term <laughs> tim exists on that discord yeah. anyways yeah i do uh Tim, before I ask where you can find you on the internet, because I, mean, I think people who listen to the show thus far pretty much figured it out, but yeah, uh, what are your thoughts on the Obi-Wan uh, series coming up here? Because you're a huge Star Wars fan and sort of a curveball here. Is it too much Star Wars that they're putting out right now with the all these different things going on? Or what are we, how are we feeling about it? Well, so the, the last episode of the second season of Mandalorian... Um, was just the right amount of fan service for me. It was it was just right. Uh, it feels like the last few episodes of Boba Fett have been maybe a touch too much. It just feels like you know we're we're teetering on some uh, just a little a little too on the nose. Um, that being said, I really have enjoyed the Deborah Chow episodes of The Mandalorian that she did, and I couldn't. I mean, Luke Skywalker is my hero, but Obi Wan is still probably my favorite character. In Star Wars, so um, 
I remain incredibly excited about it. And like being a total fanboy, you know, nerd, the fact that they said it's going to come out 45 years to the day after A New Hope uh, brings me a lot of joy and excitement. Uh, just, you know, in a, in a nostalgic, like no, like no realistic reason for it. Uh, the only question I, I guess I still have is um, I just don't know where they're going to go with the story. Like what what is there to the story? Like who could he fight? Like like they they can't have him fight Vader on Tatooine, right? Like if Vader knows that Luke's on Tatooine. So what is the what is the drama and the the anyways, I just I'm 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 really I'm really finding myself like, you know, as you as you would about anything you're excited about. I'm I'm. I'm having a hard time wrapping my brain around what that, uh, uh, what, what, now I can't even think of the word as a language, language arts teacher. This is really embarrassing. What's the, 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 the arc? Word? No, the, the, oh gosh. What's protagonist. the protagonist? Oh yeah. But like, you know, like what's testicles what's the, character, the character the, growth. The, no, the dilemma. Like the what's dilemma, the, okay. I still Anyways, think it was sorry. testicles. Oh, uh, well, <laughs> Anyways, everything is testicles to you, Johnny. So yeah, I'm, I'm psyched about it. I think it's gonna be great. So even when the Boba Fett stuff has been a little bit cheesy, it's still been fun. So and where can we I'm, find you I'm on jazzed. the internet? Sure, on Twitter at Inside Texas Hoop, no S, and uh, on InsideTexas.com. Wonderful community, uh, awesome, awesome stuff for basketball coming out with us. We'd love to have you. And lastly, there's me, your host. Will Bazer. You guys can find me on Twitter at W-I-L-L-B-A-I-Z-E-R. And you guys can find me on the Hornscast Discord. And if you're so inclined, please, please do support us on the Hornscast Patreon. On that note, thanks for listening. We'll see you all next week. Hook 'em. Hook 'em horns. <laughs>